Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me. R.A. Spratt. Okay, today we're doing another one from the 1001 Arabian Nights. And the story we're doing today is The Tale of Alibaba, as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Can you tell us the story of Alibaba? asked Michael. Well, I could, said Nanny Piggins, but we would need a lot of cake. Are you hungry? asked Samantha. Not yet, but I would be if I told that story, said Nanny Piggins. It's not really one story, it's four stories in one, so I would need four times as many snacks as usual. Oh, should we call Hans the baker then? asked Derek. I think so, said Nanny Piggins. I've got some jammy dodgers in the kitchen. That should get us through the first bit, so long as he can get here before part two, and he brings several dozen chocolate croissants, pink sprinkle finger buns, and Portuguese custard tarts, I should have enough energy to get me through. I'll fetch the biscuit tin, said Samantha. And I'll call Hans, said Derek. And I'll get the removalist trolley so it's easier for Hans to get all that food into the house, said Michael. And so, one minute later, they were all sitting around Nanny Piggins, ready for her to begin her tale. Once upon a time in the ancient Persian story days, there was a stick collector called Ali Baba began Nanny Piggins. Oh, and let me guess, said Michael, and Ali Baba was really a woman and a pig, and her real name was Ali Baba Piggins. No, said Nanny Piggins. Ali Baba was a nitwit. I thought Ali Baba was the hero of this story, said Derek. Oh, no, said Nanny Piggins. Ali Baba was a lovely fellow, very well-meaning, good husband, but no rocket scientist. Admittedly, rocket science hadn't been invented yet back then, but if it had, NASA would not have been recruiting Ali Baba. He was just a stick collector who got himself in a pickle. You'd better explain the whole thing, said Samantha. Well, you see, Ali Baba had a brother, Kasim, began Nanny Piggins. Kasim married a rich woman, bought a nice house, and set up a successful business. But Ali Baba married a poor woman, and to support his family, he had to spend all day collecting sticks from the hills and selling it for firewood in the town, which was hard work, because remember, Persia is in the Middle East, and when you imagine what the Middle East looks like, you don't imagine great big tree-packed forests, do you? Ali Baba had to travel a long way each day to find these sticks. It really was a silly job for someone who was poor already, but I don't want to be too disparaging of his career choice. I know some people don't like the idea of being blasted out of a cannon, and I thought that was the best job in the world, after nannying. Anyway, Kasim was one of those annoying brothers. Not like your two brothers, Samantha. All brothers can be irritating, but Kasim was irritating in just about every conceivable way. Despite being really rich and getting richer every year, he did absolutely nothing to help his less fortunate brother. Now, Alibaba did not mind. He just wished he could provide more for his family. 
Well, one day, Alibaba was walking a very long way from town in search of sticks. He really should have considered moving to a Bavarian forest or the Amazon jungle. It would have made his life as a stick collector a lot easier. But then this wouldn't be a traditional Persian tale. It would be a traditional native South American tale, and there would be a lot more shooting people with paralyzing blow darts. Ah, Nanny Piggins, I think you're getting a little bit off topic, said Derek. Oh, yes. As I was saying, Ali Baba had walked a long way up into the rocky hills, and he was tired, so he got off his donkey for a rest. As he sat on a rock, he heard the sound of hoofbeats approaching. Now, in the olden Persian days, law and order was not what it is today. Police had not been invented, so there were a lot of ne'er-do-wells roaming around. In particular, there were a lot of gangs of nasty thieves. Alibaba was worried that the people he heard approaching might be thieves, so he hid up a tree. From there he watched as 40 thieves rode by on their horses, their saddlebags bulging with whatever they'd stolen. And the 40 thieves were all pigs and all ladies and they were all related to you, guess Michael? No, said Nanny Piggins. They were just thieves. They stopped beside a big rock. Now this is where we get to the strange bit. Their leader got off his horse and called out the words, Open Sesame! These words must have been magical because soon as the words were uttered, the huge boulder rolled to one side. Open sesame, said Michael, as in sesame seeds, like you get on the top of bread rolls. Exactly. Open sesame, said Nanny Piggins. Wow, said Michael. Does it only work on rocks? I presume so, said Nanny Piggins. I have tried it on bank vaults and the Lockter Hans chocolate chip storage cupboard, but it's never worked for me. Anyway, as Alibaba watched on, the thieves disappeared into a cave and rolled the boulder back behind them. Alibaba was too frightened to move. He didn't want to get down from the tree in case the thieves came back out again. So he sat up there for an hour before the thieves re-emerged. Then their leader said, Close sesame! And the boulder rolled back. Then the thieves rode away down the road. Alibaba was so amazed by what he'd seen. He went over to the boulder for a closer look. He laid his hand on the huge rock. It was just a solid rock, like any other rock. If he hadn't seen it with his own eyes, he never would have believed that such a large stone could move. Alibaba stepped back and tried the words for himself. Open sesame, he said. And immediately the huge rock rolled to one side, just as it had done for the thieves. But that was not the most astonishing part. What really blew Alibaba's mind was what he saw behind where the boulder had been. There was a massive cave full of the greatest treasure imaginable. What gold and silver and jewels, asked Michael. And carpets and silks and artworks, asked Samantha. Oh, no, said Nanny Piggins. The cave hid a treasure much more valuable than any of that. This cave was crammed full with cake. Cake, asked Derek. Oh, yes, wonderful, magically good, spectacularly delicious cake, said Nanny Piggins. Every type of cake you can possibly imagine, and many types you can't imagine. There was chocolate cake, coffee cake, lemon cake, fruit cake, syrup cake, sponge cake, Victoria cake, orange cake, angel food cake, devil's food cake, black forest cherry cake, you name it. Every type of cake that was ever invented was there. Ali Baba's eyes practically popped out of his head. His brain practically exploded from taking in all the beauty before him. Now, 
Before I explain what happened next, I don't want you to think too badly of this poor, simple man. Ali Bab was essentially a good person. But when you don't have much money and you work every hour of daylight fetching sticks in a very arid area that doesn't have many trees, you are going to become hungry a lot of the time. In fact, pretty much all of the time. And when you're permanently that deliriously hungry, the sight of one slice of cake can make you lose all sense of morality. So seeing a whole cavern full of cake will instantly send you temporarily insane and drive you to despicable behaviour. I'm sorry to say that even though the cake was not his, Ali Baba grabbed up a slice and ate it. Now, don't judge him too harshly. After all, the cake didn't belong to the thieves either. They were thieves and they had stolen it. Also, it was a very dry climate, so the cake would have gone stale before long. So you could argue that Alibaba was doing the cake a favour. Still, eating stolen property is not acceptable. Just because you didn't steal it doesn't make it all right. So after seven or eight large cakes, Alibaba began to come to his senses. He realised that stealing was wrong, so he stopped eating. But he also realised that his wife and son back home were still hungry, and they would love a slice of cake. So he wrapped up just one medium-sized chocolate cake and put it in his saddlebag. All up, he'd only taken nine cakes, and there were tens of thousands of cakes in the cave, so he was pretty sure that these would never notice the few he had taken. Ali Baba then left the cave and said, Close sesame, returning the boulder to its place. He then strapped the saddlebag to his donkey and returned home. When he gave the cake to his wife and son, They were delighted. They had never even seen a cake before. They shoveled it into their mouths in pure, unabated joy. It was the happiest this little family had ever been. But now we come to the plot twist. Ali Baba's sister-in-law, Mrs. Kasim, turned up, wanting to borrow some kitchen scales. And when she came inside and saw chocolate stains all over the faces of Ali Baba's family, she grew suspicious. She went home and told Kasim, Your brother Ali Baba eats better than you. He and his family have so much chocolate cake, it was smeared all over their faces when I visited them. Really, said Kasim. He didn't like the idea of his brother having something he didn't, so he went straight over to Ali Baba's house to find out what was going on. Now, as I've said, Ali Baba was lovely, but a bit of a nitwit. It took Kasim about three seconds to get him to break down and spill the whole story of the cave and the words to open it. Open sesame. And Kasim was amazed. We must go back there, he insisted, and get the rest of this cake. Oh no, said Ali Baba. I insist, said Kasim. We shall set out first thing in the morning. But when Kasim went home and he thought about all the treasure he was going to steal the next day, he began to think, Why should I share this with my useless brother? If I go up in the hills now, I can steal all that cake for myself. So that is what he did. Kasim harnessed all 28 of his own donkeys, gathered up 112 saddlebags, and set out up into the hills. Kasim got to the cave Ali Baba had described just before dawn. He said the magic words, Open sesame! And the boulder rolled aside. What an idiot Ali Baba is! thought Kasim. He should have stolen all this cake for himself when he had the chance. He doesn't deserve to get any more now. So Kasim started packing up all the cake into his saddlebags. He spent hours getting it all in so he could steal as much as his donkeys could carry. Kasim was just about to leave when he heard hoofbeats approaching. 
Oh dear, said Kasim. I'd better get out of here. He rushed to the door, but when he got there, he couldn't remember the magic words. He couldn't remember open sesame, asked Michael. No, said Nanny Piggins. You know how it is. When you know you know something and it's right on the tip of your tongue, but you just can't recall the word. Well, that's what happened to Kasim. He knew it was some sort of seed, said Nanny Piggins, so he started making wild guesses. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Open wheat, open poppy seed, um, open barley, no, uh, uh, open sunflower seed, um, open acorn. But none of these words worked. Then suddenly the boulder began to move, and Kasim realised it was only opening because the thieves had said the right magic words on the other side. Kasim froze in fear, and when the boulder rolled aside, the thieves saw him. They also saw that he had packed up all their treasure ready to steal. Oh, please say they forgave him and let him go home if he promised not to do it again, begged Boris, tears streaming down his face in anticipation of what was about to come next. Would you like to put your paws over your ears, Boris, suggested Nanny Piggins. You can think that's what happened while I tell the children what really happened. Boris nodded and he put his hands over his ears immediately. Nanny Piggins leaned in and whispered, the thieves drew their swords and fell on Kasim, killing him instantly. Gosh, said Samantha. Then, continued Nanny Piggins, as a warning to anyone else who might dare rob them, they cut Kasim's body into four pieces and hung the pieces up by the entrance to the cave. Oh, that's awful, said Derek. Christ, said Michael. La, 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 said Boris. He still had his hands over his ears and he was desperately trying not to overhear what Nanny Piggins was saying. The next morning, when Kasim didn't come home, Mrs. Kasim was worried. She ran over to Ali Baba's house and begged him to go looking for her husband. Ali Baba did not want to go. He knew his brother well, and he had a very good idea where his brother had snuck off to. But Ali Baba was a good man, so he took his donkey and headed up into the hills. When Ali Baba got to the boulder, he was afraid, for there was a blood stain on the ground in front of it. Ali Baba said the magic words, open sesame, and the boulder moved, and he saw his poor brother as the thieves had left him. Ali Baba was distraught. He bundled up the body of his brother and put it on his donkey, then took it back to his brother's house in town. Ding dong! Oh, that's the doorbell, said Nanny Piggins. It must be Hans. Quick, children, run and grab the baked goods from him. There's still so much story to tell. The children grabbed the tarts, croissants and finger buns and rushed back to their nanny. Hans came along too. He loved a good story. And Nanny Piggins continued with a tale. And so Ali Baba took Kasim's body back to Kasim's house. And this is where we meet the true hero of the story, said Nanny Piggins, for Kasim had a slave girl. He had a slave, said Samantha. Was that even allowed? Oh, yes. In the ancient Persian story days, in fact, in pretty much all the ancient story days, there were loads of slaves, said Nanny Piggins. There were a lot of tremendously not nice things going on back then. But unlike Alibaba, this slave girl was so smart 
and so wise, if she had known about thermodynamics and jet propulsion, she could easily have become a rocket scientist. And her name was Morgiana Piggins, guess Michael? Why, yes, it was, said Nanny Piggins. And as it happens, she was staggeringly beautiful and a pig and one of my distant relatives. Awesome, said Michael. And Morgiana Piggins soon came up with a plan. While it had been nice for Alibaba to retrieve his brother's body, it was also foolish. The thieves would now know that someone else knew the secret of their cave, and they would want to kill that person. So it was vitally important that no one in town find out how Kasim had died. Or word would spread, and the thieves would soon find Alibaba and his family. So Morgiana went into town and found a cobbler. You mean a fruity dessert with dumplings on top? asked Boris. No, said Nanny Piggins, not that type of cobbler. Although that type of cobbler is very good. Remind me to make one later. No, the cobbler Morgana fetched was a man who made shoes, so he was very good at sewing leather. Morgana blindfolded the cobbler and brought him back to Cassim's house, where she got him to sew Cassim's body back together. That way, when they held the funeral for Cassim, no one in the whole town realised what had happened. Meanwhile, up in the hills, the thieving bandits had returned to the cave and saw that Cassim's body was gone. Someone knows our secret, said their leader. We must find them and kill them. Oh, what a rotter, said Boris. The leader sent one of his thieves down into the town to act as a spy and find out who took the body. The spy could learn nothing at first, until he came to the cobbler, who was boasting about being so good at sewing, he'd sewn together a dead body just the previous week. The spy asked the cobbler to tell him the location of his house, but the cobbler explained he couldn't because he'd been blindfolded. Oh gosh, it was clever for Morgiana to think of that, said Boris. Yes, but the spy was clever too, said Nanny Piggins. He put a blindfold on the cobbler and told him to feel his way back to the house. And the cobbler took him straight to Cassim's door. Oh, what a silly cobbler, said Boris. I think I prefer the fruit and dumpling kind. Everyone does, said Nanny Piggins. Anyway, the thief took out a piece of chalk and made a mark on Cassim's front door, planning to return that night with the other 39 thieves so they could break into the house and kill Alibaba and his family. But Morgiana Piggins had seen him put the chalk mark on the door. She realised what the spy was up to, and she knew how to thwart him. She went around marking every other door in the neighbourhood with the same chalk mark. So that night, when the gang of thieves returned, they couldn't find Cassim's house because all the houses had the same mark. The leader of the thieves was so angry, he killed the spy on the spot. Wow, that's harsh, said Derek wasn't really the spy's fault. I know, said Nanny Piggins, but gangs of thieves don't have unfair dismissal tribunals, so that's just the way it went. The next day, the leader sent another spy into the village to try again. This spy also found the cobbler and got the cobbler to lead him to the house. And this time, the spy wasn't going to make the same mistake. He marked the house by smashing a chip of stone out of the doorstep. But again, Morgana had seen him do it. So as soon as he was gone, she went down into the street with a chisel and knocked chunks out of every other doorstep on the block. When the thieves rode down into town that night, they couldn't find the house. And the leader was so angry, he killed that spy too. Wow, his workplace morale must have been very low, said Derek. Oh, it was, said Nanny Piggins. Unsurprisingly, no one volunteered to be the spy the next day. So the leader went down into the town himself. And he was a bit more clever about it.
He went around asking if anyone had recently become rich. And he soon heard of a stick collector whose brother had suddenly died, leaving him his house and money. The leader knew this was his man, so he got together all of his remaining thieves, there were only 37 left now, and he packed them all up into jars. Jars? asked Derek. You mean like jam jars? No, glass hadn't been invented yet, said Nanny Piggins, so he packed them up into oil jars. You see, oil was stored in big clay jars in the ancient Persian story times, and these jars were so big they could hold a man. The leader hid his men in these jars and approached Ali Baba's house, pretending to be an oil salesman. He asked Ali Baba if he could store his oil pots in his yard for the night. Now, as we know, Ali Baba was nice, but dim. So, of course, he said yes. He even invited the leader to stay the night inside the house. The leader couldn't believe his luck. He whispered into one of the jars to tell his men what to do. They were to wait in the jars until they heard him throw rocks onto their lids. Then they were to storm inside and kill everyone. But that night, as Morgiana was making a great big cake for the feast, she ran out of oil before she could grease the tin. She knew the oil salesman had stored his jars in the yard, so she went out to fetch a little. When Morgiana lifted the lid of the first jar, she found a thief asleep inside. She checked the others and realised that they were all full of thieves who'd sneaked into Ali Baba's yard this way. So Morgiana quietly went back inside and got the huge bowl of cake batter she'd just been making. Then she took it back outside and tipped it into all the pots, one after another. And the thieves were drowned, exclaimed Michael. That's awful, said Samantha. No, they didn't drown, said Nanny Piggins. They ate the cake batter. And when their stomachs were full of all that sugary, buttery goodness, they came to their senses, realised that being a thief was a very naughty thing indeed, snuck out of the pots and ran away to lead good and proper lives. Later that night, when their leader threw stones out of the window and onto the lids of the jars, no one responded. The leader was furious. He would have to kill Ali Baba himself. So he tucked a knife into his belt and went back inside to finish his dinner with Ali Baba. Just then, Morgiana came into the room carrying their dessert, a fabulously delicious bowl of sticky date pudding. She realised that the leader was going to kill her master if he got the chance, so she came up with yet another cunning plan. I shall dance for you, declared Morgiana. You will, said Ali Baba. There really is no need. We wouldn't want you to do anything you weren't comfortable with. No, I shall dance, declared Morgiana. But we've almost finished eating, said Ali Baba. I think we just want to go to bed. You will sit there while I dance, said Morgiana, with such a firm tone that Ali Baba was a little afraid, and he decided to just sit and sulk instead of arguing any more. And so Morgiana started dancing, swooshing one way, then the other. She was a piggin, so of course a fabulously talented dancer. So even dim-witted Ali Baba and the greedy, murderous leader of thieves was soon entranced by her performance. Morgiana danced closer and closer to Morgiana danced closer and closer to them, her movements becoming more passionate and animated. It was the most beautiful dancing ever seen before or since in all of Persia. So the leader of the thieves didn't even notice when Morgiana yanked the dagger out of his belt and he definitely didn't have time to react before she stabbed him with his own knife right in the middle of his chest. What have you done? cried Ali Baba. You just killed my dinner guest. Ask yourself, why did he bring a knife to the meal? asked Morgiana. Well, I guess to cut up his steak with, said Ali Baba. 
Okay, well, that would make sense, agreed Morgiana. But he was also going to use that knife to kill you, for that man was the leader of the band of thieves who killed your brother at the cave. How can you be sure? asked Alibaba. Well, there is no DNA evidence or fingerprint technology yet, said Morgiana. But the 37 men hiding in his oil jars was very suspicious. And he hasn't even touched his sticky date pudding, so there is no doubt in my mind that that man was thoroughly evil. Alibaba looked at the pudding bowl and saw that this was true. Oh, Morgiana, you've saved me and my family, said Alibaba. How can I ever repay you? Duh, I'm a slave, said Morgiana, so unslaving me would be a good start. Oh, of course, said Alibaba, I shall free you at once. But that is not enough. You are so wise and brave, I must offer you more. I know, I shall allow you to marry my own son. Morgiana looked across at Alibaba's son. He was nice enough, but if brain surgery had been invented, no one would be asking this young man to do it. Um, that's very kind, said Morgiana, but I'm not in a rush to get married. There's an unattended cave full of cake in the hills. I think I'll go and live there. And so they all lived happily ever after, except for Cassim and the two spies and the leader of the thieves. It wasn't so happy for them. But for everybody else, it was a very satisfactory ending. The end. Time for bed. And that is the end of the story. So that's it for this week. And until next time. Goodbye.